what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello everyone and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV Network. My name is Alan, I am a co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. Along with me is Chris, who is also the same exact titles, co-founder, <laughs> co-director, Foot Candle Film Society, and the Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to talking about the, uh, the two movies that we have slated for today. It should We've be got interesting. Two interesting reviews to have. Um, one, well, the, the two reviews we are going to be going through, uh, one of them are kind of fresh new movie in the movie theaters. One, probably getting a little bit more of a resurgence because of Oscar nominations now. But first, we're going to discuss the latest film from writer-director M. Night Shyamalan. It is the film Glass, starring Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, and Samuel L. Jackson. Then we will follow that up with a review of the film Green Book, uh, starring Mahasha Ali, and then we've also got uh, um, Vigo Vigo Mortensen. That's right. And then directed by Peter Farrelly of the Farrelly Brother fame. Uh, a film that's getting uh, a lot of Oscar nominations. We'll be discussing its role in the Oscar contest, especially as we get into our new section after the reviews where we actually are going to highlight some of the Oscar nominations that were just announced. We're going to kind of dig into some of the, I guess, the, the bigger categories, the ones that are going to be a little more fanfare behind them. And also just kind of highlight a few areas where maybe there were some interesting surprises or uh, snubs, I guess is the word people like to use when talking about the Oscar nominations. As always, once we're done with all that, we'll end the show with our recommendation of the episode. That is a film. Chris and I both present one film. We feel like it's worth revisiting or talking about or viewing if you have a chance, if you're looking for something to catch up on, especially viewing in an online environment. So Chris, we got a full show, lots to do. Let's go ahead and get started. What do you say? Sounds like a plan. Great. So here comes our first review, which is the latest from M. Night Shyamalan. It is Glass. Maybe this will all make sense if I explain who I am. My name is Dr. Ellie Staple, and I'm a psychiatrist. My work concerns a particular type of delusion of grandeur. It's a growing field. I specialize in those individuals who believe they are superheroes. Good for you. Mr. Shyamalan, or I'm going to call him Shy because we're, you know, friends. Has shy? Had qu- is that shy. his nickname? Really? That, it is for me. Okay. I, mean, I could right. go with you guys Knight, special, but I'm, I'm just going to go with Knight there. or Good. Shy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's had quite the career. He exploded on the scene with Six Sense in 1999. He followed up with Unbreakable in 2000, which, mm-hmm. Alan, you've gone on record saying you really like this movie. Love it. You really like Unbreakable. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he then went on to do Signs, The Village, and Lady in the Water. Lady in the Water was kind of the beginning of a trouble spot for him as far as connecting with audiences, connecting with producers for his future films. He kind of spent time in the critical wilderness with The Happening, The Last Airbender, and After Earth, which we actually reviewed on this show. We did. Then with The Visit, 
He experienced a little bit of a resurgence. Uh, He partnered with Blumhouse as kind of a production company studio that typically does kind of lower budget horror slash thriller films. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe you and I have talked about, we didn't review it, but you and I have talked about it. We may have, one of us have may have recommended it on the show. Oh, the visit. Yeah. I actually, I think I I did bring it back up as a recommendation and I think you may have recommended it even further back possibly. Yeah. I have to have to check letterbox, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I, so split came next after the visit. Uh, He had partnered with uh, the production company again with Blumhouse and it was a huge success. Mm-hmm. And before the ink was dry on the opening weekend revenue tallies for Split, Shyamalan announced, hey, I'm doing a trilogy and Glass is starting production. Um, and it was going to be a, a sequel to um, Split. A sequel to, to Split. And I think, we can, I think we're fine to go ahead and say sure. this now because, I mean, yeah. it, it's pretty clear in all the marketing for this film. It's also a sequel to Unbreakable, which right. – was a surprise when Split came out. Nobody knew that it was a secret kind of continuation of the Unbreakable universe. And we also reviewed Split on the show. Yes. Um, I was, I think you and I were Split on our review. Um, yeah. I think we were generally favorable. I think I actually liked the movie until the end better than you. And then, mm. yeah, the fact that they tied I, it to Unbreakable, <laughs> it just made me mad. Like I wanted to and punch I a hole through the screen. loved it. Yeah, I loved it. it. I thought the movie was okay, but I love the encoda and love the connection it gave. So, yeah. So, so that's where we kind of stand. Now, um, having seen Glass, Alan, how does this film figure into your personal ranking of Shy's work? And how does it fit into the East Rail 177 trilogy as he has now called this set of films being unbreakable split and glass. All right. So my feelings on glass are complicated. So I'm going to do my best to, <laughs> I'm going to do my best to, to talk through them here. Okay. This is a little bit of a counseling session for me. Cause I've got a lot therapy. of, a lot of things I've got to work through. So Chris. am I playing the role of Sarah Paulson as counselor? A little therapist, bit. Or am I doing the therapist that it was in split that doesn't end up coming out so well? <laughs> um, hopefully the one that comes out better. Um, <laughs> Either way, just I need a sounding board on this because I, I am wrestling with this quite a bit. Okay. So, you to address your question, uh, where does it fit in this trilogy? Um, I don't know. It, it's definitely no Unbreakable. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and lay that out there. Okay. Unbreakable is That's on a different favorite. different plane of existence for me. Okay. In looking at this in terms of Split and even more recent films of his, I, I don't know. It has moments where it's really, really good. And then it has a lot of moments where it's absolutely not. <laughs> so it's it's just a, a weird, weird film. So let me can I back up for a second sure. and kind of talk you through where my where my thought process is on this. Absolutely. I'm gonna go I'm gonna do a little educational lesson for anybody listening. Okay. A lot of people have actually asked me, and this is honestly a question that comes up sometimes in running a film society or a film festival. People ask me, they see in the credits that there's story by somebody. Okay. There's screenplay by somebody, and sometimes there's just written by. Sure. And there's a lot of questions about what are the differences on there. And I think it's important to understand these differences because I think this perfectly illustrates where my issues are with Shyamalan's film as films as of late, and most importantly with Glass. The story is the general plot and the characters, the setting, and the tone. 
That's what the story is. The story is not focused on dialogue. Gotcha. And it's not focused on exactly how individual actions are going to take place in the film. It's more, this is the big story. Like you're reading, like you're telling a, a makeup story to your kid. You're not worrying about every little piece of dialogue. You're not worrying about all the, exactly how one character gets from one place to another. You're just telling a bigger, broad story. Shyamalan is a great storyteller. Which is how Lady in the Water came to be. I think it was a story he told his kids. Right? It, it is. And if you were to describe Shyamalan's stories or even Glass to someone, if you told me the plot of Glass. In a pitch meeting? Yeah. <laughs> you tell me the big picture. You tell me the tone. You tell me what's going to happen, what the overall impact of the film is. I love it. Sounds great. That's exactly what I wanted. And that's still, if I were to describe Glass to you, Chris, right now, it sounds awesome. <laughs> it's a great story. I think he's a good storyteller. Now, the difference is, then you have a screenplay. And the screenplay is where scenes and dialogue are all put together. That's where you actually have characters saying the things they have to say. You have people having to be in certain places or take certain actions to move the story along. Mm -hmm. That is where I think M. Night Shyamalan just completely fails. And that's where I think the big problems are with Glass is I think it's the screenplay. I think it's the dialogue. I think it's the... Uh, conveniences. I think it's the just pit pitch stitching together what are some pretty cool scenes at times and a really great story concept and trying to make it work. And, and I just don't feel like it does. So it's a little bit of the George Lucas thing. Okay. Yeah. You remember how with George this Lucas, it's like, you know, like to me. Yeah. it's like, he's a great storyteller. He's got these great visions. Great idea, man. A great idea, man. The difference was once he actually got around to writing the dialogue for things and figuring out how to make things work, that's when it all fell apart. I'll, I feel weird saying this. I'll defend uh, Shy a little bit. His dialogue is nowhere near as bad as no, nowhere near dialogue from Lucas. And I'm going to give I'm going to give Shyamalan one more credit too. I think Shyamalan is really good with the camera. Mm. I think he directs really well. Got gotcha. you. So what would be a perfect scenario is take a Shyamalan story. Give it to a really great screenwriter and then let Shyamalan direct it. <laughs> that would actually be a really amazing film. Yeah. But we haven't, we haven't gotten that. Okay. So back to my review of Glass. Sure. Um, there are a few moments of Glass I really liked and I love the overall premise of Glass and I love the overall story of Glass. But I think it is probably one of the sloppiest, almost laziest films I've seen in a really, really long time. So that's where I am on it. Okay. I will say to people that if you really liked Unbreakable and you really liked Split, there's enough here to warrant possibly spending an hour or two to go see it. Because I do think it rewards you in some places with some things. But if you're not heavily invested in those other two movies, you didn't really see the point, didn't enjoy those. There's absolutely nothing here for you. <laughs> and I still think you're going to come out somewhat disappointed because it's not the film you wanted. Partly have to do with budget, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I mean, the budget, I think the budget, the limited budget that they intentionally gave this film is very clearly on the wall throughout this film. And I do think it impacts it. And I also just think there's um, some acting choices that were not well thought out. So with that, I'm just going to leave it at that level. Interesting. That's where I am with it. It has some moments of greatness and the story was pretty good. Man, <laughs> it just did not know how to put that story on the screen. So, okay, well, I... I'll, I'll start off um, yeah. trying, you know, we normally do try to start off focusing on the positive yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. saying the things we liked about the film. Um, 
I, the performances from Bruce Willis as David Dunn, who was an unbreakable. I you're wincing. I I liked uh, Samuel. Really, Jack- Bruce Bruce Willis. Now I'm not going to argue with you on the other two. But Bruce Willis is really you, you liked his performance. Yeah, and here? I didn't think it really had changed at all since <sighs> Unbreakable. Um, he gives this very flat, without going into a view of Unbreakable, which I did rewatch somewhat recently with my daughter after having seen Split because mm-hmm. she'd never seen it. He gives kind of a flat performance because that's just his. It's kind of de- depressed, unsure what's going on. He's got family troubles. It's just kind of a flat, which. Bruce Willis normal is this like outsized charismatic guy, like cracking, like the moonlighting type guy. Or oh, like that guy's gone hero. a long time ago. Right, <laughs> so, but that's yeah. up until the point of Unbreakable. Yeah. That's what we were used to seeing, and yeah. we don't see him at all now. Um, but I felt like he carried over what he had started. To me, mm, he okay. carried over what he had started on Unbreakable. All right, Sam Jackson and James McAvoy. Yeah, they were fine. Um, I think. They probably didn't need any on-set catering because they chewed enough scenery that they were probably full. Um, but I think the characters, like, yeah, the villain's supposed to be this outsized, you know, maniacal planner. You know, one of the characters that uh, James McAvoy does is the Beast. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just – and he had all those multiple personalities. So if you're faced with that, yeah, you're going to be all over the place and as big as life. And I get that. And it didn't bother me. It was fine. Um so I thought the acting was fine. Okay. Uh, and I actually enjoyed two things that I guess I didn't really expect, although it was kind of teased, I guess, a little bit in the trailer, that uh, Anna Taylor-Joy would be kind mm-hmm. of reprising her role mm-hmm. from Split. I liked that. I wish she would have been given a little bit more to do. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that she was in there doing, trying to sew some things together plot-wise, plot-third-wise, I liked. Sarah Paulson, I like her. She was great. Um I don't have any fault with what she was doing there. Again, I think, especially at the end, which we'll get to, I feel like that was very clumsily handled and really made me hate, not her character, <laughs> not hers, not, but like yeah. her character's usage. I just, yeah, yeah made me want to kind of punch a hole through the movie screen like the end of Split did, yep. the little scene there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just kind of a nerdy, stupid thing, but it made me happy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is where you're complaining about the acting, although I think it's just merely lobbed at Bruce Willis and his um, <laughs> character. But I had no idea that the guy who had played Dunn's son in Unbreakable. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh. No, no, no. I, I think oh, it's great. Oh, I thought it was I, cool. No, no, okay. I loved it. I thought you were going to say That was were... one of those awesome moments when yeah. he showed up on screen and, if, and you realize it's the same yeah, kid. I'm like, rea- oh my gosh, that's like, awesome. Oh, that kind of looks like him. That's no, kind of cool. great. And then they flash back and you see that actor as a look and you're like, oh no, that's the same dude. Oh, absolutely. As <laughs> soon as I saw him on the screen, I knew it was the same guy. And I, 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 I thought that was really, that was really. I'm cool. with you on it. I loved it. Um, so I think to sum up my, <laughs> I think. You were know, those your positives? Those were my positives. Okay. And I think in yeah. general, kind of like what you were saying, I'm on the same page, although it'll be interesting to see how we come at the end of this review, who likes it better, who likes it worse. Mm. But in general, you know, Shyamalan, good idea, man, good story, man. But the other stuff just kind of execution of it is just so I can get in. I can get into my negatives. Are there some other? Let me me bring up a couple more positives. So I was actually going to mention about um, David Dunn's son played by. um, Is it is it Spencer? Spencer Treat Clark playing Joseph Dunn. He yes. played Joseph Dunn, the child in Unbreakable. Sure. He is in the, the movie. And for that first 20 minutes or so of the movie, I'm totally digging it. Because what you play off is, and I'm not spoiling anything. I think this all was in the first five to ten minutes. 
you kind of catch up with where the David Dunn, Bruce Willis character is, and you realize that he still has a very strong relationship, kind of partnership with his son. Mm -hmm. They're very much playing off of the kind of revelation they both had at the end of Unbreakable about what David Dunn's capabilities are. Right. And I loved it because, Chris, I don't know if you remember or not, but in the movie Unbreakable, there's a scene at the end of the film that is absolutely one of my favorite cinematic scenes ever. It was good. And it's the two of them sitting at the breakfast table. Sure. They even play that scene, a little clip of it in... In, in glass. So the fact that they played off of that scene and like when we see David Dunn and his son Joseph now, it's a great feeling because I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted this film to show me is that this is where they are now and we're all these years later and it's perfect. This is what I want. Um, and even when they are tracking down the beast again on the first 10, 15 minutes, it's like, yes, perfect. This is what this is what this film's supposed to do. And I wish the other hour and 40 minutes were as enjoyable as that first 20, 25 were. But, um, so I'll get that a positive. I'm with you that I think James McAvoy, he goes over the, he amps it to 11 and I can see, but how it's that enjoyable would, and it's yeah, for fun. Me. And, and I can he, see how some you know, people would great, great on their nerves. He, I mean, I'm in the theater and it's busting out laughing people around me with his performance. Now, granted some moments of it aren't really meant to be, bust out loud but sure. i think it's just oh hey he's talking like a little nine-year-old kid now he's talking like a woman now he's talking like this he really gave it his all i mean yeah, i'm yeah. still fascinated by his performance mm-hmm. um i think i think the film relied on it way too much especially after relying on it for an entire movie and split <sighs> yeah i would agree with that especially when you know the samuel jackson role yeah, he chews scenery too but he's only really in about a third of the film oh we'll get to that oh, I know. So, that's a minus so yeah, from a positives, I'll say there are a couple great moments. And again, I love the overall story of the film. I love where the film is trying to, what the film is trying to say, what it's trying to go towards. But yeah, but the execution was just bad. So let's, let's get into the negatives. Cause I don't really have anything else positive there necessarily. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, so you're talking about the first 10 minutes where you talk about, it's kind of the father son relationship yeah. and then trying to track down the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to track that down, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. The movie came to a halt when they come to Elijah, who's comatose in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. I, that, every time they would show it and just kind of like repeating that whole, oh, here he is. He's in a wheelchair. He's not doing anything. I felt like the movie became comatose. And it, just, it really just slowed down. And yeah. I feel like if that had been compressed – and there again, well, honestly, on I feel like, time, you know, basically, I mean, and again, I, I, we didn't really discuss the plot of this, this movie as a summary, but I mean, True. really it's, you know, you have the beast who is James McAvoy as the split character from the previous movie. He's on the loose. You've got Bruce Willis as this strong guy from unbreakable that it's kind of become a little bit of a hero, kind of a right. underground hero that's getting some press and all. Uh, and we don't know where uh, Samuel Jackson's Elijah glass is, but we do find out he's in this hospital. I would say, Chris, the, 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 the slamming on the brakes came the minute that they get put, everybody gets put in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once they go to the hospital setting, which I'll tell you, that hospital setting is the setting for the entire rest of the movie. Which is probably a budget thing. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a budget thing. I mean, they shot 90% of this movie, it seems like, in this one facility. Right. Now, I'm okay. I'm okay with a chamber type piece. I'm okay with a more stage play type environment in one setting. I have no problem with that. But I, I feel like it was more of a necessity than it was a choice. Sure. I agree. And I think once you get to that 
that setting, the movie just really slows down. It just gets really convenient. There's a lot of like poor active, poor character decisions being made left and right. Some of the worst nursing staff I've ever seen in a hospital environment. <laughs> I mean, just some really Interesting. easy conveniences to make the plot go where Shyamalan wants it to go. Right. Okay. So continue. I, yeah, I'm, I'm and I'll, I'll say, so it just really dragged and the movie Shyamalan's known for twists and some of the instances, which I'm not going to give anything away, but some of the ones he throws out here, did kind of work for me. And I did find Mm -hmm. interesting. Again, the concepts behind the concepts. Yes, I agree. Um, And one of the, and something that I'll give him credit for kind of dipping a little bit into the pluses was trying to remain kind of oblique in what I'm saying here. So I don't ruin anything, but there's a MacGuffin about a final fight. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that. Appreciated that they steered clear of that. Right. They, yeah. It was a, the MacGuffin of this final fight kind of the thing. And then, like, you come to realize something else about what that really was or wasn't. <laughs> um, I thought that was really just masterful on Shyamalan's part mm-hmm. as far as an idea. But the conclusion, which I'll just – I kind of made a joke of it when we were introducing <laughs> or before mm-hmm. we went to the trailer. There's something to do with tattoos that I felt like was one of the worst – rushed explanation type devices, not a twist because it's not a twist because you haven't revealed something about it. And then suddenly well, no, it's changed. No, there is a twist there because one major character that we're led to believe is playing a certain kind of role. You find out it has a completely different type of role. Uh, so I, I, I give it a twist. I, I don't. On concept, okay, if you, and again, I will not uh, give away what this is, but if you had described to me in a one sentence line, what this overall twist was about or what this overall revelation was. Again, I hear it as a story point. I'm like, ooh, that sounds really interesting. The way it's handled in the film, though, is horrible. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, so that's, Agreed. that's the shame of it is like, uh, if they had just really worked on laying this out and really revealing this in a more interesting way, but instead it's in this probably about the laziest way you could reveal this. I think there were two in, in Glass, there were two few things that were things of brilliance that I could see in Split or that I could see in Unbreakable. There were too few of those at Working Glass for me, like the MacGuffin of a fight that's mm-hmm. supposed to take place. That was a stroke of genius that I felt mm-hmm. like was a you know hallmark to the other films. But I can kind of nail it down to this one specific instance that magically has to do with Shyamalan himself. Oh, no. Yeah. Yep, it's no. his cameo. Oh, it's... And okay, so he's known for doing cameos in Mm. his films. He had a cameo in Unbreakable. He had a cameo in Split, which I'd completely forgotten. I didn't remember it at all. I didn't either, which interesting that you don't remember it either. Mm -hmm. So he has a cameo in Glass. It was terrible, Mm -hmm. poorly acted. Mm -hmm. And he did some explanation that at the time, because I hadn't been on the internet to see like, why is he even saying this stuff? But apparently what he was doing was there was a plot hole because of how he had appeared in Split. He had to kind of justify why he's a good guy now, whereas in Unbreakable, he was a bad guy. That mere thing of having to do that explanation on screen that wasn't even needed for you and I because we totally forgot he was in Split. Just keep on moving. You You want to have a cameo? Be in the background. Don't mention if he had done that. In Split wouldn't have been a problem. If he'd done that in this movie, wouldn't have been a problem. Granted, there still would have been that plot hole for people who remembered, but justification right here, he didn't need to do it, and he did it 
anyway. Oh yeah. That it is was, that is the sum up. That's I the am. case in point of this thing. Like, yep, that's the problem. That's not great. I wrote down my notes. Worst Shyamalan cameo ever. ever. <laughs> and it was the as much as I liked the first twenty so minutes of this film and kind of where it was going before they got to the hospital. That was the one part of that opening 20 minutes where it's just like, oh, that's that's no good. That's not a good sign for where this is going. And, you know, it was painful. It was absolutely painful scene. Are there are there other thoughts you have on glass that you need to kind of get off your chest? Because um, I've got one. I've got a summary, but I guess I can throw out there. Of well, I, felt. I guess we're not going to go into kind of spoilery stuff, you know, or if we want to do that in a minute, because I do feel like. I felt like I was trying really hard to go with this film as long as I possibly could okay. holding out hope that it was really going to like work it out in the end and be stronger in the end. Okay. And it wasn't. So the ending really impacted a lot of my ultimate feelings about the film. I feel like if you, if he had nailed the ending, I probably would have forgiven most of the rest of the film and been really on board with it. But the ending was absolutely not nailed. So it made it tough. Okay, um, I guess we can make a decision to talk about spoilers. I'm fine if if you want to. Yeah, um, let's let's do that. This is kind of the film that warrants that, you know. Okay, so if you don't want to hear spoilers, yep. just uh, fast forward ahead. Probably, I don't know, five minutes or so. If you hear us talking about Green Book, then, then you're, you know you're, you're in the clear. <laughs> you're in the clear. Okay, um, so what we are because I've I've basically I've expressed my well. Here's the thing. Okay, so sure. let's just go ahead and lay it out there. So sure. yes, there is a secret society that the Sarah Paulson character is a part of. Again, you tell me the mission of the secret society. Their job is to find these super powered humans, and they don't want them around. Either convince them that they're not super, which is the new way they're trying to handle it, mm-hmm. or kill them. And again, on paper, you tell me that idea. I'm like, yeah, I get it. They want everybody. They don't want anybody to have extraordinary powers because they feel like that throws off the balance. And I totally get that. But the way we're finding out about this is terrible. Is where you show two characters happen to have a black uh, three leaf clover, not a four leaf clover, because you know four leaf clovers are special. They're three leaf clovers because they're like every other one on their wrist. And I'm like, okay, if you're part of a secret society. Having a recognizable icon on your, wrist on your wrist that two people working in the same facility at least have, if not more of them, come on. You know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So the the reveal where you see and the somebody gunman's is bril- got Somebody this. as brilliant as Elijah wouldn't have picked up on this. Right. Mr. Exactly. Details and all that kind of that's stuff. Yeah, I just can't. So that's a huge problem. That's the one big revelation it, is, oh, it's there's actually a secret society and they've actually planned believe, this and they kill the all three of the characters. You, you start to see people attacking the three people out there and one of them is like a rifleman and you see... He shoots uh, the the beast. He shoots right, uh, And you McAvoy. see a black tattoo. I'm like, uh-oh. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, wait, something is kind of being thrown at us here in the last minute and unfortunately, I think I'm not going to like it. Yeah. And oh boy. And then we cut to this... <laughs> Inside a restaurant footage where just, you know, they all are having a meeting and waiting for that last couple that's not part of the meeting to leave the room. Which then they all stand que- up and have a which, meeting. Which yeah. question? So yeah. s- the psychologist character mm-hmm. that's, let me, Sarah Paulson's character, yes. let me run down here and get her name really quick Ellie Staple. Yes. <laughs> um, so she approaches Dunn as he's being drowned by the people that are trying to kill all these people. Why does she say, is she just trying to be mean and say, here, let, touch me so you can see what the whole deal is? No, she has to do that because otherwise we, the audience, wouldn't understand. <laughs> exactly. Poor, twist. crappy screenwriting. Yeah. Right. Why, like, there's no reason Why would do she it. do that? Like, there's why no reason. She just, it's like, 
is she trying to be mean and psychologically damaging to Dunn as he's about to die? No, like, no, it's just, I have to let the audience know. <sighs> and I can't do that unless I, I want to do it through, through David Dunn's little, his ability. When he touches somebody, he kind of flashes and sees whatever bad they've done or something. Right. So again, she's admitting that it's a bad thing she's doing because for David Dunn to be able to see it, he's not a mind reader. No, nope. his ability is when somebody does something bad and he touches them, he can sense that bad thing. So right. she knows what she's doing is bad, obviously, because otherwise she wouldn't have Bruce shake her hand right. to see it. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. No. And, uh, you know, Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I will say, you know, there's a, there's a, there's another little revelation that, you know, honestly, I was kind of surprised I didn't pick up on earlier. It's, it was a little lazy, but it, I mean, I'm kind of surprised I just didn't pick up on it. The fact that the, uh, split, um, crumb, Yep. Kevin Crumb's Kevin. father died on the same train that uh, Bruce Willis was on in Unbreakable. Right. Calls by Elijah Glass as an ex. That never occurred to me, and it really should have, because, I mean, Split, once you figure out Split's kind of a sequel to Unbreakable, and there's a whole scene with him becoming the beast on a train, and supposedly we find out there's some trauma attached with that. That should have been an absolutely, like, no-brainer to connect the dots. I didn't. Right. So when that came out, I'm like, okay, that's an interesting twist. But again, the way it was done, if you remember, it was David Dunn's son just happens to be looking on a computer and it's kind of this, oh, wow, you know, kind of <laughs> moment where he sees something sure. on the screen. And then he happens to run right in the middle of the beast and his dad right, right at a critical moment, just in the nick of time and say, wait, 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 I got something to tell you. It was just so sloppy. It's like it's sure. exactly what you would expect, a, you know a very novice screenwriter say, Ooh, I've got to put these moments in. Cause this is very cliche that we expect to see in these movies. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'll say with the ending glass or Elijah glass is kind of ultimate plan that obviously we're led to believe he's kind of been thinking about all along in case he were to die, that he was tapping into all the security cameras on this, this campus. I thought that was genius. No, the concept is great. Once again, I love this idea of he's recording everything and kind of sending all this footage to his mother, who's still alive, and some of the survivors, meaning David Dunn's son and uh, Anna and Taylor uh, right. Taylor Joy uh, character, I get that, and that's great. And but then again, the execution in that final couple scenes was just so ridiculous. Oh. It's like, right. let's go sit in the train station, and we know we just uploaded <laughs> this video, and we should see people just popping up on their phones like immediately, and all kind of all responding to it. And it was like, oh my gosh, that is just so lazy it's like mm -hmm. you're gonna sit in a train station and well well we just uploaded it a few minutes ago so we're just gonna watch to see as people are reacting to their phones being notified of this video being available and of course everybody gets the video at the same time right. and stops in their tracks and has to look and talk about it it was just so lazy so i love the concept but there again it's the execution of these ideas that just didn't work um there were too many moments where the right character showed up at the exact right moment. Like even right before the final sequence happened out in the lawn of this hospital, mm -hmm. which again, I'm with you. Yeah. I thought that was cool Since that we never made to this planning. Yeah, the glass sets up that kind of, he wants this epic battle to take place on a skyscraper with the two, you know, with Kevin, well, actually it would be the beast. Yeah. And with, um, what do they call David Dunn's character? The uh, overseer. The overseer. Yeah, to have this. And you're like, oh, okay, that's totally where this is going to go. It's going to be this like spectacle with all the people saying it. Okay. 
And no, that's just a ruse because mm-hmm. he knows that basically the security footage is going to be the fight that he like. So I thought that was, yeah. No, I, I love the concept. I love that. Yeah. You know, I saw the trailer for this film a couple of times and mm-hmm. I kind of wondered to myself, have I just seen all the set pieces in this film in this trailer? And the answer is yes, there's absolutely but nothing. The tr- but the trick is going along. You <laughs> yeah. think I haven't because he sets up right. this one that's supposed True. to be there and it ends up that's not, not being bad. There. So that was kind of, I like the whole glasses final plan. I just think the execution of it was really weak and just not well done. So again, you know, I like the ideas in this film. I like the idea of a group saying we don't want there to be super powered human beings because that's, bad that's like dangerous mm-hmm. so we're gonna like repress them we're gonna like kill them we're gonna do whatever we need to do to keep society normal i love that concept and i love the idea of elijah glass saying no i want the rest of the world to see that we do exist right and i want people to get this word again great concept it's just everything about the execution was just so so painfully sloppy yeah unfortunately i'm i'm on the page with you and i think he, I liked Unbreakable. I liked Split, except for that Coda scene where they let you know it was going to have a sequel. Mm-hmm. And the handling of that scene was what, what it was like. I, I got ex- concerned because I was like, and sure enough, how I felt about that scene is pretty much how I felt. Well, about I admit, I, I geeked out about that Coda scene in Split, mainly because of how much I love Unbreakable. Sure. But you are correct in saying it's a pretty poorly handled scene, like acting and the whole way it's just staged and it's not a great little scene. Um, so you're right. That, that level of dialogue and that level of like writing exactly carried over to what we saw for almost two hours and split. Um, I know there's some people who love this movie that I respect online and other people I follow. And I understand why they do, because again, I think the concepts are really cool and I am a, you know, superhero comic, you know, graphic novel junkies. I love this stuff. I love when people play with these concepts, like he's trying to do in his story here. It's just, I can't look past how sloppy the film is and trying to tell this story. I I would agree. And I think the difference is if I was a, let's say 10 year old reading a comic book and a comic book from maybe like the 1980s, that wasn't super violent and all this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff they have a lot of conveniences and kind of stuff that it's like, they're almost not taking themselves too seriously because they're like, this isn't a novel. It's a comic book. If I look at glass and unbreakable and split in that wheelhouse of these are comic book films, not like Marvel cinematic universe, not like the DC cinematic. No, this is comic book films of a different sort where you're just making things like in the last two panels of the comic book, you learn that, Oh no, it's a secret society with tattoos. If I were younger, I would probably forgive that because that's like a very comic book type thing to have like secret societies or have like twists that don't seem well justified. Like I could, I could almost see it. It just doesn't work for me now as an adult who has higher, unfortunately, expectations. Well, I think that's the thing that, yeah, I think like the coda in split, I think is a comic book. If I was a 10 year old kid and it was like, you know, that might would work for me. Well, but the difference is, is that, you know, I I don't think it matters whether it's a surprise coda or something like that at the end of an issue. It's, it still can either be sloppy or it can be well handled, you know, but I'm saying even the sloppiness I would forgive were I younger. Um, Maybe I, I, it's almost like though, you know, you take the three movies in this trilogy and they just get progressively, less realistic Mm. and less, I don't know, just grounded. 
Sure. Because Unbreakable, that's the whole thing about it, is that right. there's nothing comic booky about it. It is about the most grounded depiction of someone with well, superpowers I've ever seen. And there's something that was kind of thrown out in Glass that was an interesting part that Sarah Paulson actually did get to kind of deliver. You see a little bit of the scene in the trailer for Glass, but she has all three of them kind of laid out in a mm-hmm. room. And she basically is, for lack of better use, explaining away their superpowers. Yeah. And I thought that was a really – because then it does take it back to the grounded area of – No, and again, that that story beat right. was great. I sure. mean, yes, that's exactly what – you know, you do start to question as a viewer. You're just like, okay, yeah, so everything I've seen these guys do, are they really superpowered or is it just, <laughs> you know – they just happen to be kind of good at what they do and that's it. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, we as the viewer are supposed to be questioning this as, as well. That's what Shyamalan wants us to do. And there for a little bit of a moment, I do, but then the, none of the rest of the film really supports that notion or gives us that same sense of mystery. Right. Um, it just got really, really messy and sloppy. And, and I'm sorry, Bruce Willis. No, you're not. Bruce Willis is not. Uh, I don't know who this guy is for the last 10 or 12 years that has been acting in Bruce Willis's part, but this is not <laughs> Bruce Willis. And I'm finally to the point with this film of realizing this is not the same guy. I don't, I don't know who this is. I get it. And Unbreakable, yes, he's a very low-key character, low-key act, and that's fine. But he still had moments where you saw some emotion. Okay. Again, I go back to the scene, the breakfast table scene, him telling his son through just sliding a newspaper over to him that, hey, you're right. I do have superpowers. I can help people. And just for a moment, he puts his, like his son's about to cry and he's like putting his fingers to his lips. Like, no, no, no. And he's starting to break down a little bit too. I'm like, okay, that's acting. Nothing (laughs) in this film resembles the slightest bit like that. Okay. And we're still in spoiler, right? Sure. And he gets murdered by a puddle. Okay. So I'm just, for whatever that's worth, <laughs> he gets drowned in a puddle of water. Right. Um, you know, he gets drowned in a puddle of water and his son is supposedly right over there, obviously seeing all this. I, I don't know what's going on, but then his son doesn't show up until right after his father's dead. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, I don't understand what was happening that was keeping you from this or why you had to stay over there. And now you're running over. But again, convenience, you know, that's just where we need you to be for this scene. Blocking of a scene. Sure. Why all three of the supporting characters all show up right before the big long battle scene happens. All show up at the exact same moment. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like Sarah Paulson's little characters looking out the window and she sees all three of them coming up at the exact same time (laughs) to like, I guess, check on their loved ones. It's like, all right. Too many conveniences, yeah. too many things that just didn't work. And it's a shame because I wanted to like this movie. It is a shame, too. I wanted to like the movie. And after the high I was on for Split because I was so happy that Shyamalan had kind of had a return, I was a little let down by the Coda thing, but I was like, it doesn't matter. You know, it will be interesting to see how he ties it all together because I know it had been rumored for a long time that he had kind of wanted to make a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And now he's got the second one. I was like, yeah, and it was it was a letdown. So. Okay. I think I, I don't know. I guess maybe just because I'm more, I'm being more passionate about it. I think I may have disliked it a little more than you. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. You're not really <laughs> letting on your level of dis- displeasure. So it's pretty high though, huh? So Yeah. I mean, I, if I had to give it a star rating, it'd probably be like a two. Well, I might be or a, a two and a I half. I might be maybe. one and a half two. Well, we're probably close to the same. Okay, well, disappointingly, and that's why yeah. my voice is raising and I'm a little more passionate about it because it's just, I hate seeing a See, disappointing. I thought you actually liked it more than me, so that's interesting. No, I mean, I liked moments of it mm-hmm. and I liked the story so much, 
but I'm just very disappointed in the execution of it. Um, just sloppy. Sloppy is the word I just keep coming will, back to. It's just a sloppy movie. One of the points you made earlier, and this isn't a spoiler, so if you've fast forwarded, I'm not going to spoil anything. If you're a fan of the first two films, or if you're a fan of Split and you didn't really know about Unbreakable, like if you care about either of the first two films, yeah. I think this is worth seeing See just it. for that. See it, but just, just, you know, yeah, go watch it because I think James McAvoy's fun to watch. Sure. Um, watch it because I think the overall story they're trying to tell it's is, is really intriguing. Story. Yeah. Um, also, you could look at it and say, I want to see what a very limited budget could do to a film that, you know, supposedly this is self-financed by Shyamalan once again. $20 million, a lot of money. But you think about these actors, how much they probably sure. cost. You probably spent almost all that money on just the actors. Right. Didn't leave a lot more for anything else. And uh, not saying that a film has to be bigger budget like this, but I do think in this situation, they found themselves limited with locations and conveniences they had to stitch together to make their scenes work. And I think maybe if you had a little more time and money to work on this, you could have fleshed it out a little better, made something a little bit more, a little bit more engaging, you know? So agreed. Okay. That's glass. I'm just, you know, <laughs> a big the, sigh the, from the sign of disappointment in my voice, but it is still playing right now. It is doing fairly well financially. So, you know, Shyamalan lives, lives another day in the <laughs> film community. Um, and uh, we're saying, uh, there's situations where you may enjoy seeing it, but overall <laughs> we were both pretty disappointed in the film. So, yeah. all right, well, let's move on to the second review. We've got Chris. And for those of you joining us back after you skipped ahead from the spoiler part of glass, we are going to go into a film that probably doesn't really require any spoiler time, but we are going to go ahead and talk about it anyway. It is the latest from director Peter Farrelly. It is the, uh, based on real life story. The movie is green book. Yeah, some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's going to be problems. Don't you tell me? Anyone can sound like Beethoven. But your music, what you do... Oh, you can do that. Chris, in Green Book, we have the story, a real life story of a working class Italian-American uh, who is a bouncer at local clubs and kind of just uh, will do odds and work for people as they need it. He becomes the driver for an Ameri- African-American classical pianist as that pianist is going to take a tour through the Deep South in the 1960s. This is based on a true story, and it's based on a novel or a book that was written by the main character's son. The main character is Tony Lip, uh, played by Viggo Mortensen. And then we have Dr. Don Shirley as the pianist, played by Mahasha Ali. We also have Linda Cardellini as Tony's wife, Dolores. Um, and a whole hodgepodge of people they come into contact with during their jaunt down south. Again, based on a true story, based mm-hmm. on a book, a memoirs of the son of Tony Lip, uh, Viggo Mortensen's character. And we have a film that has gotten a lot of nominations. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Marasha Ali. Academy Award nominations. Got nominated for Best Picture, uh, Green Book. One of the eight Best Picture nominees given. 
So, Chris, uh, this movie's also had a little bit of controversy. It got attached to it after its release about whether and how realistic the depiction of Dr. Shirley was. Also, some just issues with Peter Farrelly, the director, uh, having some incidents in his past that people weren't too happy about and kind of come back to haunt the film a little bit. I don't want to get into any of that, and I don't think any of that should skew our, our view of the film. I want to look at the film just purely as it is. Sure. Honest and merit. My question to you. It is nominated as one of the eight Best Picture nominees. I'm not going to be foolish enough to ask you, Chris Fry, if you think this film should win Best Picture at the 2019 Academy Awards. I will ask you, though, does it deserve to be in the field of eight Best Pictures, though, when you look back at this year? Um, I don't know. I have not spoken to anyone that is of the opinion that it should be included in those eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that person exists out there and I am definitely not that person. Okay. Um, and it's not just a fact of, I, I actively disliked this movie mm-hmm. and I went into it with all the press having been said, all the, and the Academy Award nominations had come out. And I actually said to you off mic, I said, or maybe I've mentioned it in a past podcast, mm-hmm. can't remember, but I said, the only way I will see Green Book is if it gets nominated. So you already went in with some pretty right. low yeah, expectations. Because I'd heard stuff about it and I was just like, I don't feel like I need to see it. I just yeah. don't, I, I don't want to, but if it's nominated, I'll see it. So when it got nominated, I said, fine, I'll see it. And I'm going to go in just expect, you know, hoping that I like it, but you know, it's, I've just had such low expectations for this film that I didn't think, you know, I thought surely I'm going to come out of it with a slightly positive response. The one thing I will say that I can say positively about it is that Mahershala Ali, who plays Dr. Don Shirley, the piano player, I thought he did a good job. Mm-hmm. I can see why he is nominated um, because I thought his performance was good. It was a good contrast to me, too, to the character that he played in Moonlight. So, you know, judge of a good actor, he can yeah. play different roles, mm-hmm. different ranges. Yeah, so I thought he, I thought that was good. So that that's a positive the very positive of the history, learning about the Green Book, which I didn't know such a thing existed, mm-hmm. what it did, mm-hmm. what it was supposed to help do for African Americans back in the 60s is avoid getting beaten up, basically, when they went to the South. These were safe yeah. places that they could go. Learning about that idea, I wish I could have learned more about that, mm-hmm. how that book came to be. But It okay. seemed like it was just kind of shoehorned into one scene in the movie. But Yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. that, that, that idea or that sure. the knowledge of that Green Book, I thought that was fascinating. And then, you know, the secret, just learning about a real life person, real life people in a situation that occurred, mm-hmm. that was interesting to learn. And the sequences of Dr. Shirley playing the piano when he was all dressed up in a tux at these big, like, concert halls, I thought, you know, the music was really interesting to listen to. It was mm-hmm. shot well. I, I enjoyed that. What I didn't enjoy was the script, mm-hmm. the direction, and I'm surprised to say this because I like, I can't think of something that Vigo Mortensen has done where I have not um, liked his performance. But I really, his performance of Tony Lip, Vallelonga, was so distracting to me. And I granted, I mean, he's acting what's on the page, I assume, the dialogue mm. that's what's on the page. But it was so Archie Bunker, stereotypical. Like, oh, I'm a racist at first, but then I come around to being a good guy or and so stereotypical, like Italian, like caricaturish and not 
I think maybe it comes in, we, I mentioned a little bit of tone, comedy. Mm-hmm. And, okay, take, for instance, something where Italians were stereotyped. The TV show that was widely popular, The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. That had elements of comedy in it, but it knew when things became serious and you're talking about organized crime and stuff. And that was just kind of, it was done as surface every once in a while to kind of break the tension. But still, it was just really well crafted in the yep. way it was done. With this, the humor, 99% of it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed to be kind of fake, almost as if if they'd taken this idea and had, I don't know, somebody be some comedian, Jordan Peele, be the the piano player and have yeah. Will Ferrell be the limo driver and just make it a comedy that just happens to be a true story. Yeah. Like that to me almost would have worked better because then the instances of racism just seemed so cartoonish mm-hmm. and so honestly stereotypical in a movie where you're trying to break stereotypes Mm -hmm. it just well hollow well yeah um i agree on almost everything you said the only thing i'll say vigo mortensen's performance didn't bother me from vigo mortensen's standpoint i think he seemed to be having a good time with the role he was really chewing it up I think it's all script writing. Right. I think right. the script That's what I'm is saying. just I don't think he's a bad, I'm not saying Vigo did a bad job of the role. No, no, just the script was horrible. Yeah, I can almost imagine Vigo Morrison playing this very nuanced and having some more personality to it and just being directed to told, no, go broader, go bigger. <laughs> we want this to be more enjoyable. This needs to be funnier. This needs to be whatever. I kind of got the sense he was just being goaded into being a bigger and bigger performance throughout the film. No, I'm, I'm with you completely on everything. I thought it was probably one of the just most elementary scripts I've mm-hmm. seen on film in a long time where everything is extremely predictable. Everything followed a very, very predictable path to the point, Chris, where it got to where you were driving into another city on this tour. Oh. And I was almost playing a game in my head of, okay, who's going to be the first racist person we run into. Yeah. And it's like, you're being introduced to all these little white people. Oh, they're going to be it's the like, racist. That's going to be the racist right there. And sure enough, well, yep. 10 minutes later, he is the absolute racist, you know, and I'm believe I, I absolutely 1960 South. I, I know for a fact was a tough environment for Africa. No but doubt about it. There have been other films that have portrayed racism that aren't as laughably yes. false. It's like it's, we believe the facts you're telling that there was racism, that they mm. encountered these things, that they had to somehow work their way through them. But just the way it was handled. It was just so so simplified where yeah. it's like, okay, if you look this way, you're a bad guy. You do bad things. You have racist views. And if you look this way, you're good. You're all, you know, and it was just so simplified and it really did a disservice to this discussion about race relations. This is a film that feels like to me, it belonged in like early 1980s. Yes. You know, type of thing. It's like, I could have seen it working then because then you could be a little more joking and kind of be more light with the touch. More joking because people, this subject matter in the eighties, that's closer to the sixties. So you have to handle it with a little lighter touch and maybe the humor is necessary. But in a year where you have black Panther, black Klansmen, if Beale Street could talk, all these films, if Beale Street could talk, mentioned in the same breath mm-hmm. as Green Book, maybe one that should have made the top or the yeah. eight best picture. You know, yeah, it just doesn't. It seems, I agree, it seems out of time. Green mm-hmm. Book seems out of time, like his movie was made. Yeah. Well, and just even, yeah, I don't, there's not really anything to spoil, but even like the ending, just, oh. you know, just so like, 
I'm almost like a rip here. off of planes, trains, and automobiles. Yes. Well, if I'm sitting here saying, okay, when is that doorbell we're going to ring? I know it's going to ring. Come on, when's it going to ring? It's like, oh, there he is. <laughs> you know, yeah. just so obvious. Terrible. And it's just so well, and and at that point in the movie, uh, you know, you are in the final minutes, and I'm like, I don't like this movie, and I'm thinking, kind of incorrectly. I doubt I could like it any less. And that scene happens. <laughs> well, I'm like, nope, I, I well, like it right, less there again, now. I can do this without spoiling. <laughs> the doorbell rings. The one character enters that's now like, hey, welcome, you know, surprise, he's here. And the reaction of everybody around the table was so ridiculous. Well, they actually, like, I, their, their reaction was kind of my reaction was like, really? Yeah. That's how we're choosing to end this movie. <laughs> like, but it's just, it's like they're all like in a state of shock. And, right. like, and then they're all like, oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it was just, yeah. it was so, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned something after I saw this. I felt like a middle schooler could have, if like I said, make a movie about racism and like different races getting to get along along. Make a movie about that or write a story about that, and this would be the kind of thing they would write. It would just that simple. It's nominated for uh, adapted screenplay, oh, by yes, the way. Yes, it is. So here's the thing here's one of my biggest disappointments with the film. Okay. I actually think that they were kind of grabbing onto something kind of interesting with Dr. Shirley's background. Agreed. The whole idea of like, and again, this is all in the film. Supposedly right. outside of the film, this is being touted as not being authentic. And like the family of Dr. Shirley is actually kind of upset it's being portrayed this way. But again, throwing all that aside. Sorry, it was take, original screenplay, not okay, original. Taking it for what the film tried to show us. Sure. This whole concept of him being an African-American man in the 1960s that was a classic pianist mm-hmm. having to spend his time with white America and very high profile in order white to make America. a living and exactly. And him not feeling like, you know, he even said in the film, his quote is, I don't I, pe- black people say I'm not black enough. And mm-hmm. now you're telling me I'm not white. Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. I love that idea. It's like, please explore that more as a film. Like this idea of he's really stuck in a period of time where he doesn't know where he fits as a human being. I thought that was really cool. And they never did anything more. with I'm, it. I'm on the same page. Explore his character more yeah. or explore the background of what the green book was, is, that would have been much more interesting, but they failed to do that. They're too, to me, it seemed like they were too interested in playing up the Tony lip character and mm-hmm. the humor of the situation. And I'm like, I don't find it funny. Um, an interesting part where you noticed when I was talking about the musical performances, I liked it when there was a big audience mm-hmm. and there was, you know, in the concert halls, Yeah, there's a scene where, um, Shirley gets to perform in an unusual setting. I'll yeah. just kind of leave it to okay. that. And I was okay with that. He makes comments about how he doesn't perform in smaller settings sometimes because people stereotype black musicians as having a whiskey glass up on the piano. Mm -hmm. He sees in this smaller setting, he sees a whiskey glass and instead of just recognizing it and moving it, which is what he does. And you're like, huh, he's done that little thing. He's kind of made it okay. And then going on with the scene, no, we have to have recognition with other character. Other character recognitions recognizes you've done what you've done. Like this little joke thing. And I'm like, no. Yeah, just, you can't just, just let have it alone. It, just have them set it down. Right. That, that communicates all you need to communicate at that point. For anybody paying attention to the film, that would have given them all they needed to know from that, from right. that moment. Yeah, it's just there again. It's all being spelled out to us. Right. It's all being telegraphed. It was and too telegraphed for me. So telegraphed. And I, you know, there's a little bit of the, uh, the Tony Lip character. 
this is a guy that we're supposed to believe is kind of mixed up with organized crime, possibly, and having Interesting all this. Interesting you yet, mentioned that. But yet, he doesn't do anything really wrong all movie. Like, you know, <laughs> right. he's kind of the hero in almost every situation. Yeah. He's gross. He's overweight or eats too much or whatever. But yeah. that's it. He doesn't do anything wrong. But yet, Dr. Shirley kind of gets in trouble in a couple places in the film and kind of steps outside of his whatever he felt like his bounds were. And Tony Lip has to come rescue him. It's like, okay, this is getting a little too It was too yeah, much. It know? was problematic. Yeah. So I... Yeah, I'm. I'm. I hate saying I'm glad you had a problem with this film, but yeah, I. Well, and I. I did to have in, an issue you know, with the film. I like to be a contrarian sometimes on the podcast when yeah. I know you like a film. I'm like, I'm going to go in and see if you I really knew dislike I didn't like it. it. So I did, and I know that a lot of people that I respect and online and stuff, also critics that I've read, didn't like it. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to set all this stuff aside, and I'm just going to try to give this movie a fair shot. And I tried, yeah. and I still can't support it. <sighs> Yeah, so Green Book, nominated for Best Picture, one of the eight nominees. We're going to talk about the Oscar nominations in just a moment. So I'm sure this conversation will continue a little bit in the next section. But um, I, yeah, I got, I got, I have a real problem with this film. So it just, it just didn't work. You know, yeah. I mean, thirty years ago, if this film came out and was trying to break some ground with talking about race relations, it could have been a more enjoyable viewing and maybe would have said more. But nowadays, it's just. It's it's a relic of a film and it just doesn't work. So, yeah. Agreed. All right, that's Green Book by Peter Farrelly, director, and written by Nick Vallalonga, the son of Tony Lip from the film. It is still playing, or actually kind of getting resurrected in movie theaters right now because of its Oscar nominations. Uh, Chris and I are saying uh, we're all for watching all the nominated films, but this is probably one I would probably give the most pass to to. Say so if you're going to you skip one, with I'm okay it. with people skipping this film personally. So, all right, that is our reviews. Oh man, we were negative on two films in a row. Has I that know. ever happened? <laughs> I don't know. We try to generally be, you know, optimistic on films. But man, we are both down on both these films. All right, well, let's on that note, let's take a quick break so we can kind of cool off a little bit and regain our composure, <laughs> and then we're going to start coming back and talking about in our new section. We're going to talk about the Oscar Academy Award Oscar nominations. We're going to go through some of the categories, not all of them, but just the, the main ones that people typically talk about, give you our thoughts, and then also hit a couple of items of note. That'll be here in just a moment, so stay tuned. This is Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys... It's kind of the guilty pleasure of the Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season, when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's an example. perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. You it know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like... Where they the, worked at the country club? Yes. yes. You know, when the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff. And mm-hmm. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around. Right. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... 
It's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards. <gasps> Absolutely, they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis. But you knew they're a new lifeguard. <laughs> I need to get invested in that. So come have a listen to Chick Chat on the Mesh TV. You know you want to. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. Before we get back into our show, just as a reminder, you are listening to this show on the Mesh TV podcast network. Uh, you can find this network online at T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. It is a website where you can find all the episodes that, of this show you're listening to for Candle Films. But you can also check out episodes from other shows we have on the podcast network. We update them regularly. They're all free. You can stream them off the website and listen to them on your computer. Or, which we hope you'll do, uh, choose to subscribe to the show through a podcast application, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Google Play, uh, whatever you use to listen to a podcast, any app that does podcast, you can search for the show and subscribe to us. When you subscribe to a podcast, it basically means that every time we put out a new episode, you're going to get that episode delivered to you. You don't have to come check a website and see if a new episode's been posted or not. It's a nice way of having new content delivered to you, just like you would a DVR of a TV show, recording a TV show. You want to make sure you catch every new episode that comes out. So we encourage you to check us out through the iTunes Music Store, the Google Play Store, or any other podcast application you may use and subscribe to us or just keep visiting the website, themesh.tv, to listen to the latest episodes. All right, Chris, we are back in the show. We're talking about Oscar nominations. So this is kind of our Super Bowl time of the year when it comes to this show. This is the big Academy Awards, not to put down any other award programs, but this is kind of the one everybody looks forward to. This is the big Mac Daddy (laughs) award show. Sure. And every year we talk about the nominations when they're released. We kind of give some predictions on some of the key categories. Uh, And then just so you know, as a listener, we actually do have a – Oscar viewing party with our film society that we look forward to in the last couple of years. And we'll be doing that again this year, watching it with a crowd, seeing how we do with our own individual ballots for the evening. And it's a, it's a good time. Yeah. So if you live locally and want to check it out, we will be having that Oscar party, the Newton Conover auditorium on February 24th. So if you need more information, you can check the website. Um, but the Foot Candle Film Society website. Footcandle.org yeah. is where you can go for the Film Society. Yeah, and uh, we encourage you to come join us if you'd like to and uh, come watch the Oscars with us. And, uh, beautiful and enter the contest. And enter the ballot contest. <laughs> kind of fill out your ballot and see who gets the most number of nominations correct or, or awards correct in the evening. So, Chris, the, the awards were announced last week. Um, we do have all the categories in front of us. We're just going to hit kind of the, the bigger ones. And I sure. hate saying bigger ones because I think every – role in a film is important, but the ones that are going to get a lot more press and a lot more talk in the, in the media. Let's talk through the four acting awards first. Okay. Let's do it. We have actor in a supporting role. So these are the five nominees for people in uh, male actors in a supporting role this year. We had green book with Mahasha Ali, um, questioning being a supporting character, but I do think the film obviously wanted to give more screen time to Tony lip. So I guess, I guess, uh, (laughs) Dr. Shirley does become a supporting character at that point. Sure. Uh, We have Adam driver from black Klansman, which I thought was kind of an interesting surprise, a nice surprise, but interesting to see him in the supporting role category. Sam Elliott from a stars born. Also a little bit of a surprise. Not a lot of people were expecting that one. Richard, a supporting role. What's that? 
definitely a supporting oh, role. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He definitely fit the supporting role uh, model. Richard E. Grant from Can You Ever Forgive Me? This is a film you and I reviewed uh, not too long ago. Uh, that we showed at our film society and kind of considered a little bit of a favorite, I guess, if you had to kind of look at the odds makers right now of who may win this. And then we have Sam Rockwell for Vice playing George W. Bush. Uh, All five of these films we have discussed on our show, um, on our podcast here so far. So, Chris, I'm curious, uh, who do you think is going to win and who do you want to see win? Yeah, it's – I don't think – I don't, I'll just knock out the people that I don't think will win just off the bat, whether want or will. I don't think Sam Elliott will, and I don't think Sam Rockwell will win. So then it becomes okay. a race of three. <laughs> um, I don't think Adam Driver will win. So now we have a race of two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ali, Marshallah Ali, or Richard E. Grant. I, you know, it's hard to say because a lot of you know Oscars people say it's political and people take backlash and the voting can result as the backlash. You know, Marshallah Ali won the Golden Globe. So a lot of times those are predictors and stuff. I would say he would win the Best Supporting Actor, but because of everything that's happened, maybe Richard E. Grant, which people haven't had a problem with that that mm-hmm. performance or the the stuff surrounding that. Also, true story about this guy. He really mm-hmm. did exist. It was in a... So um, can you ever forgive me? So I don't know. I think it'll be close between the two of those, but I think... Marshall Ali will probably get You think Oscar. he'll win. Who do you want to win? Um, I mean, if you had your choice, if you were the only voting member, <laughs> if I was who the would you give it to? The Academy. Yeah, who would you give it to? Um, you know, I'd really have to go back and see all these films again. I did mm-hmm. think Richard Grant, Richard E. Grant's performance was really good, but the problem was I, overall I wasn't that high on the film. True. So it kind yeah. of, you know, but you have to just look at just the performances. Um Gee whiz. I, I guess I would probably, you know, despite the fact we just reviewed it and I really didn't like it, it was the shining part of the film that I did like. I'll, I'll go with Mashallah Ali from Green Book. I think. I am. Um, yeah. I, I was torn between those two as well, but I'm going to say I think Richard E. Grant's performance was probably a little stronger. Okay. And I liked it a little more. Granted, I was a little so so on the movie as a sure. whole. Um, but Richard E. Grant's when his character was on screen, I was I found myself a lot more engaged in the film than when he wasn't. And so I'm going to say I think Richard E. Grant's going to win, and I think I personally think he should win. Okay. But I would not be disappointed if Marasha Ali won because, like you, although I did not like the movie, I thought his performance was was as good as it could be given the role he was given to play. I'd be happy to see Adam Driver win because I thought he was great oh, in Black Klansman as well, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I would like to see Sam Elliott win because I really like him. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought specifically it's the driveway scene with Sam Elliott. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Um, and I think it's a supporting Sam Rockwell in Vice is the one that I just thought was a little slight. You know, yeah. it was just he didn't have a whole lot of screen time. No. It was just a kind of a, a an impersonation of Bush. And I think it was fine. It was enjoyable, but just – it doesn't belong in the rest of this category, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I would be happy with any of the other four winning. Sure. I would just be really shocked if it was Adam Driver or Sam Elliott winning. Agreed. Okay. Yes. Um, you want to move on to actor and a leader? Best role? actor. Why don't you, do you have the best actors you can lead uh, out I for do. us? So, speaking of Vice, we have Christian Bale from that film, Bradley Cooper from A Star is Born, William Defoe and At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek from Bohemian Rhapsody and Viggo Mortensen from Green Book. Alan, who do you want and who will win? All right. So I'm going to be a little controversial with this one. Uh Uh-oh. Who do I want of the five? (laughs) Well, I mean, I 
I haven't seen it. Okay. So I was going to say that's the one movie I have not seen out of like any of the categories I think we're going to talk about is At Eternity's Gate. I have not seen. And neither have I. Uh, actually, there's one other film I haven't seen that we'll get to in the director category. But um, otherwise, uh, I, I kind of have to assume Willem Dafoe is not going to win because I don't think anybody's seen that film. And typically, if it's a film nobody's seen, it's the chance gonna, of it winning is pretty slim. The odds are usually against yeah. you. Who do I want to win? I want Bradley Cooper to win. That's just me because I'm still thinking his performance in Star is Born is great. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Who do I think is going to win? I think it's going to be Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody just because that seems to be all the buzz right now. And I don't think Bohemian Rhapsody is going to win anything else. But I think it'll win Best Actor. That'll be its one big takeaway from that. He did a great performance. It was a very energetic, a lot more energetic a performance than I have ever seen Rami Malek give, which was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it hadn't been for Malek's performance in Bohemian Rhapsody, I think that movie would have really, really failed. Mm-hmm. As it was with his performance, I think it was an entertaining film and kept kept my attention and was was, uh, was a fun watch. Um, Christian Bale, I think, is good in Vice. He absolutely nails Dick The Cheney. problems you and I have with Vice aren't... Christian Bale. No, they're not. And they're not really any of the acting, actually. I thought, you know, again, as we already mentioned, uh, you know, with Sam Rockwell, that was fine. It was it was the more the directing and the production of the film that was the issue. Um, I just don't think Christian Bale will win it for Dick Cheney. Um, I think it's going to be Rami Malek, but I would love to see Bradley Cooper win it. Where are you with this? I, I'm Rami Malek. Uh, I have problems. You want him and you think it will? I, I want him to win and I think it will win. We had problems, as we discussed on the episode where we talked about Bohemian Rhapsody in length at length. Um, yet for the simple fact, it probably would come down for me. Like you said, I haven't seen Eternity's Gate to either Bradley Cooper or Rami Malek. Cause as I discussed, Viggo Mortensen and I and Green Book weren't. Jogging. Yeah, no, I, I would be, I would be heartbroken if Viggo oh, Mortensen man. won uh, best actor. Yeah, I feel good for him. Cause I like him as an actor. No, no, nothing against him, <laughs> yeah, but just, just that, that performance right. does not, does not need to be rewarded. So. But Rami Malek, the thing with, if I get it down to just Cooper and Malik, Cooper did a great job, but I could see other people because other people have done that role in previous films, you know, of interpretations of a star is born. Just Rami Malik. He's so embodied who I thought or who I think Freddie Mercury was when he was alive and performing mm-hmm. anything that I just can't imagine. I'm sure there are other people who could have pulled that off, but you know, my mind right now is so blank as to anybody who could have pulled it off like he did. So I I do I think he will win just because of the hype surrounding everything. Mm-hmm. He did win the Golden Globe, um, you know, slightly edgy or different kind of category, yeah. but in the same ballpark. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna say he's who I want to win and who I think will win. Okay, good deal. So we have actress in a supporting role. Um, I'll read these out. We have Amy Adams from Vice, uh, Marina de Tavera from Roma, which was a surprise. Uh, Regina King from If Beale Street Could Talk. Emma Stone from The Favorite and Rachel Weiss from The Favorite as well. Um, so, Chris, where are you with this? <laughs> you know, this 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 is a hard one. And the reason yeah. is because for me, it comes down to two people from the same film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss, both from The Favorite. Um, yeah, they both did such a good job. I think one of them will win. But which one? I have no idea because I feel like they're <laughs> – equally sharing the work they do and it's you know equally amazing who do i want to win 
between the two, I don't know. So you, <laughs> uh, well, let's just I'm, call I, it a I'm tie. actually really kind of confused. Yeah, yeah, for we'll me, call it's it a, a tie. tie. We're just like, hey, look, we're happy with either of those two. I, I am because I really can't. Well, that's kind of where I am too. I just think the two, the, their two performances are. I mean, all three of the female performances in the favorite are great. I guess if I had um, to narrow it down, Emma Stone was nominated for La La Land. Did she win? I don't recall. Okay, I don't either. But and Rachel Weisz, I think she may have been nominated like for Constant Gardener in the past. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay, you know Google can prove us. Somebody can, you know, our research assistant needs to. So you want to give me, it to whoever whoever maybe hasn't, hasn't won gotten, an Oscar? Mm-hmm. I want them to win yeah. it <laughs> between the two. Of I them. think Emma Stone had a little more, uh, a little more interesting parts to play in the film. In my take, I mean, both of them had a really juicy role, but I think mm-hmm. Emma Stone had a little bit more. A little bit more acting to do in hmm. places. Okay. If I had to give her a slight, slight, slight edge, edge on that. Yeah. So you think one of the two of them will win and you'd like one of the two of them to win. So you're <laughs> yeah, okay yeah. with that. And actually on my piece of paper that I circled for my ballot, I did go ahead and circle Emma Stone. So I yeah. guess maybe Emma I'm Stone. semi yeah. on the same page that I feel like there's a little bit more that she does. A little bit more. She has more to do in the, in the film. Um, I think Regina King's going to win. Oh, really? Because, you know, if Beale Street could talk, got shut out of everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, people are going to argue about whether it should have been the best picture field or not. Sure. Um, Regina King won Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes. I think the favorite could cancel each other out. Because oh. one of them won the Golden Globe, right? Which one? One of the favorite girls. But there's a slightly different category. No, no, no. The the, the queen for Best act, uh, for oh, okay. best, she was Remember, they have actress in comedy and an actress yeah. in drama. So, yeah. Okay. Um, she won Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical for I the see. favorite. Okay. But Regina King won for Best Supporting Actress in a Supporting Role, which they don't break out by drama and comedy. They gotcha. just do supporting They just lump them all together. I think Regina King could win because I think the two from the favorite could kind of cancel each other out with voters. Which has happened in the past. Yeah. yeah it's like, you know, so Amy Adams, uh, I thought was a fine performance in Vice, but nothing strong or extraordinary. And then Marina D'Artiva, I thought she was fine, but that's not a movie that really rewards acting as much as the Roma is really about the style, the visuals, you know, it's more of a director's movie and not as much of an actor's movie. So I think it's going to be Regina King for that I, reason. I highly doubt it. I, you know, I would the, be really, I would be shocked okay. if she won. Not to say she does a bad job in the film, yeah. but for me, you know, if you know, the categories are always screwy. Like you've mentioned the golden globes categories are kind of screwy. Sometimes people you think are lead like Ali gets knocked down to where he's mm-hmm. just a supporting. I, you know, I could easily see Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss actually being, considered to be a lead role almost in the favorite because of how major they are. Whereas Regina King is definitely, she's good, but she's definitely a supporting supporting role. role. So yeah, I almost feel like the other two are so strong that they're going to overpower, but but they could cancel each other out. We've seen supporting roles in the past be for some very small parts. This is true. This is true. All right. Well, that's going to be an interesting one. I think it will be. Yeah. Uh, Another one I think is going to be very interesting is actress in a leading role. You want to read these out for us? Sure. So we have, Yalitza Aparicio from Roma, Glenn Close from The Wife, Olivia Coleman from The Favorite, Lady Gaga from A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Alan, what is your thinking on who is going to win and who you want to win on this one? So um, I would love to see Olivia Coleman win for The Favorite. And because she did, she did win the Golden Globe for, for, best, for Best Actress in a Comedy. Gotcha. Okay. 
Um, that's she was nominated for that one. Glenn Close won for Best Actress in a Drama. Mm-hmm. So that's the two Golden Globe winners that are in this field. Right. Um, I'd love to see Olivia Coleman win. Uh, my gut tells me that this is going to be one of the few categories that Stars Born is going to win, and I mm-hmm. think Lady Gaga is going to win it. Okay, because I think the Academy I think tends to skew a little bit more towards. Uh, the fact that we don't have comedy and drama split out mm-hmm. like we did in the Golden Globes means there's a little more concentration around the voting. And I think I can imagine where Lady Gaga, if she was, had been putting in the music or comedy, because Stars Born has a lot of music to it, yeah, uh, she would have been a little stronger. She got put in the drama category. Maybe it was a little mixture. I think the combination of her musical ability in the film and the acting she gave, I think the Academy is going to give her the, the win for that. But I would love to see Olivia Coleman because I think that was a very challenging part. And it was, I mean, it ranged on so many different emotional levels and mm-hmm. so many different styles. So um, that's what I'd love to see. But I kind of feel like that's going to be a Stars Born's maybe one key win the more I think about it. So. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's going to be a really tight race. Um, who do I want to win? I'm on the same page. Coleman for the favorite. But who do I think probably will win for all the reasons you just said? Probably Lady Gaga. Yeah, probably. So. And I'm fine with that. And, uh, I thought yeah, she was I th- good. I thought she did. I, I'm not going to be disappointed if she wins that. You know, sure. I'm just saying, I think Olivia Coleman really pulled off a pretty amazing part uh, as the queen. And yeah, it was just, I mean, had a lot more going, a lot more levels to her performance than, than, than you may think on first, on first glance. Let's go. Our last two categories we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about director or directing. Uh, we have five cat five uh, in the category for best directing. We have Spike Lee for Black Klansman. We have Powell Powelliski for Cold War. Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite. Alfonso Cuarón for Roma, and Adam McKay for Vice. Chris, who do you want to win? Who is going to win? You know, I guess it's tough every year because all we're doing is guessing, right? Yeah. Um, I can immediately knock out Cold War and Vice as two films that will, will not have the best director. The other three, though, Lanthimos and Spike Lee and Coron, I, you know, it's one of those things that once the evening starts, you're like, oh, I know how this is going to – you can see an avalanche starting, and you're like, oh, it's going to be a Star is Born avalanche, which, you know, they're not nominated for director, so it can't be here. But – for something like The Favorite mm-hmm. or for something like Roma, you could see maybe an avalanche start. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, I know how this is going. But we don't know because we're just guessing at this point. I think it's probably going to either be Lanthimos or Coron. Hmm. Coron, I think. Um, so either The Favorite or Roma. Who do I want to win? Honestly, Spike Lee. Because um, mm-hmm. I think it's his best film in years. I think he's a very talented filmmaker. And... Not that I'm sure he doesn't feel like he needs the recognition, but I think he was happy he was nominated. I, I would just like to see him see him win. That's who I want to win. Um, but I don't think I think it's I think it's going to be a really tough category between Klansman, Favorite, and Roma for them to decide who did the best directing job. Um, to want is Lee, who do I think will? You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to just say I'll say Coron. <laughs> for well i've got the same two choices but reversed okay i think spike lee's going to win mm-hmm. he's never won directing correct um, i don't think he's been nominated i don't think he's been nominated his films um, have been nominated but he hasn't been nominated for director i think he'll win it and i'm fine with that because it was a well-directed film and again we're talking about directing we're not talking sure. about whether it's best picture or just the directing style gotcha. but i think 
when I look at all these films, I mean, I think the favorite was a, was a chore to make and had a lot of directing style infused mm-hmm. in it. But Roma, I mean, Roma was all about the direction. I mean, that's what made that film work. And, you know, even though I maybe not was not as high on it as some critics are, mm-hmm. you can't ignore the fact that it's a well, well directed, like clockwork directed film. And just some of the things he pulled off and some of the scenes and arranging the scenes and what was going on in the foreground, background and movement that's a director's movie. So I think he should get it for Roma. Okay. Um, but I think black Klansman will probably win because it's Spike Lee. And I think it's a little bit of a, Hey, it's the best film he's made in a long time. And he's made a lot of really great kind films. Of a, it's so the body of work, a little thing. bit of body of work Got there you. to mix in. Um, and I'm fine with that. I'd be totally fine seeing Spike Lee win for directing, but I, I think it should be Quran. If we really got to be looking at true direction of a film. So, all right. And then the last one we'll talk about is the big one. Best picture. Chris, you want to run down these uh, nominees for sure. us? We have Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So, you want to give a shot at predicting uh, predicting who will win and who you think you would like? Who do I think? You think? Who do I th- what do I think will win Best Picture? I think... <sighs> Got eight choices now, not just five. So it's a little bit, a little bit harder. I think a Stars Born is going to win. Okay. I would like to see the favorite win. Okay. Yeah, I'm <laughs> pausing a lot because I'm I'm really wrestling. It's, it's with hard. This. I think it's this, not. Uh, it's not. I feel a, like in my mind, this is one of the tighter Oscar races yeah. that I feel like has ever happened. And I don't know if that's the case or not. But just in my mind, I feel like. I feel like 2018 was a really good year for film, and I feel like so many of these films are so good and so tight. I'll tell you this. I think there's five of the eight that are honestly viable candidates that could win Best Picture. Not that I think they should, but I think are honestly ones that could win. Okay. I don't think Black Panther will win Best Picture. Agreed. I don't think Black Klansman will win Best Picture. Okay. And I don't think Vice will win Best Picture. I see. But I honestly see the other five, any of those five could be read out. Hmm. And I don't think... People would be shocked. Okay. Bohemian Rhapsody, just because it made so much money, so many people love it. It's a big crowd pleasing movie. Malik's performance. The favorite for all the reasons we've talked about so far. Green Book, because it's just writing this notion of being a crowd pleasing movie about race. Roma for its true technical ability and what 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 Quran's done. A Star's Born because it became a cultural touchstone and people now know the the movie and the music and uh, it being such a classic story being retold. All five of those films have reasons to possibly win Best Picture. Um, I would like to see the favorite win. I'd be happy if A Star's Born won because I love both those films. I'd be okay with Roma winning. I'd be fine with Black Klansman winning. Black Panther, I was a little disappointed in, but I do recognize it was a groundbreaking superhero film. I just wish the latter part of it kind of held up to the notions it built up in the first half. Green Book, I did not like. Vice, I had real issues with. So, and Bohemian Rhapsody was a fine, uh, enjoyable movie, but I don't know. It's not Best Picture. So, that's where I am. Where Where are you with this? I I, I want the favorite to win. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just because of I feel like it's the the avalanche that could start, um, and I hope I'm wrong. I, I think Green Book might win. Really? Yeah, and I I would like to say like A Star Is Born because I actually liked A Star Is Born. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think it, I think it most likely is between those two green book and stars born. I feel like stars born came out too early, whereas green book came out later. So that could also help it maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm afraid green, I hope it doesn't. Um, I would be happy with all the ones winning that you mentioned as well, but, um, and actually I'll just, I'll just say this as we move into our surprises category, there's a couple of those. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I said, I'll get my who I want to win to favor, who I think I want to green book. So he kind of closed it out, but I'm surprised vice is nominated for best picture. I'm oh, not, yeah. surp- I'm not no. surprised about black Panther or any of the other ones. No vice is kind vice of still surprising is, to me. It's kind of a shock, especially since they did have room for two more nominations they can go up to 10. Sure. And they did eight. So you got to wonder where's Bill, Bill uh, if Bill street could talk. Yeah. Where's uh leave no trace was kind of one talked about even right. one, won't, will you ever forgive me with uh, the one with Steven? Uh, Steve, it's not Stephen Grant. Um, can you ever forgive Richard? Richard, Richard Grant. Grant. Yeah. Can you ever forgive um, me? And uh, yeah. That, was, was, that, one's, that one's surprising that they didn't fill up the slate of 10 with a, such a strong year for film this year. I agree. And if they're going to will it down to eight, for Vice to be one of those eight was really surprising. I agree with that. Um, I thought not giving a director nod to Bradley Cooper was surprising. Okay. Um, granted, I know it's first time director. He's an actor. There's probably a lot of bias against that with some Academy uh, voters, but I do think it was a well-directed film. I mean, to take a movie that's been told three or four times on film already and to really give it an interesting look sure. and tone and vibrancy to and it. And update it successfully. Yeah. I sure. thought that was a real directing feat. So I'm kind of disappointed he wasn't named in the director category. Nothing against Pawlowski. I haven't seen Cold War, and I'm sure it's really good because I, I did like Ida that he did beforehand. Sure. But, you know, Not it was just really kind of surprising that that was one of the five. I think, And then yeah. Adam McKay getting in there directing for Vice was also a disappointment. Yeah, kind of surprising. And I think Cold War being in the foreign language film category, not surprising. Sure. But yeah, it working, like you're saying, working into the directing of only five that are up for that, little a little surprising. Yeah. I'll say um, for my part, some of my surprises, even though I think she did a great job, just surprised to see her. Um, Yelitsa Aparicio mm-hmm. for Roma, the actress yeah. in a leading role. Kind of kind of surprising because if well, I'm not mistaken, it was her first time acting. Yeah. Um, so not that that has anything to do. I think she did a good job, but just it's so subtle. and it's so, so Again, it's not an actor's movie. Right. You know, and we got two acting nominations out of the film, which nobody expected either of them to get an acting nomination. Right. Um, again, I just, when I think about that film, I do not think about the acting as really about what stands out. It's sure. the direction and the cinematography and, and it's not the acting. Cause honestly, I, I it did, didn't really register with me much. Of their performances. Agreed. Um, another surprise that two films that were not included in the documentary category, oh, yeah. won't you be my neighbor? Shocking. Yeah. The Mr. Rogers documentary um, by a prior mm-hmm. winner. Who, and then, uh, and then three, three identical, identical strangers. strangers. Yeah. Both of those films not being in the documentary category just kind of surprised me just because a lot of times, especially with documentaries, if you hear the slightest bit about it, you're like, Oh yeah, that, that one will be nominated just because documentaries have a, such a hard time getting a following, getting box office. Would you be my neighbor? I mean, it made a lot of money. There was a lot of buzz on Twitter. And for it to be completely shut out of the documentary yeah. category, I'm su- I totally expe- documentary feature was the one category I felt like I had nailed. Like I knew the five nominees: <laughs> yeah, Free Solo, RBG, Mining the Gap, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, 
three identical strangers. Yeah. Done, done. Done and done. Like, wipe my hands, I'm done. And for and me, then, that would have been a first of the first time I've seen all doc features yeah. before. Yeah. But, you know, Hale County this morning, this evening, and then a father and son's taking two of the, the five slots and knocking out three identical strangers and Won't You Be My Neighbor. Won't You Be My Neighbor is the most surprising. I, yeah. I mean, that's, to me, it's a better made documentary than Three Identical Strangers, even though the story behind Three Identical Strangers is fascinating. Sure. Won't You Be My Neighbor, I think, is a better documentary. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was really surprising. So there was a, you know, a few little surprises mixed in. But I will say, and I agree with what you said earlier, it was a very strong year for film. So I don't feel like we have a front runner in hardly any of these categories. I think anything could happen. Yeah. Um, and there was another, speaking of you know ones mm-hmm. that were left out, um, I have not seen this film. I don't believe you have either. But the film Burning, which I right. felt for sure would have been in the foreign language category, completely left out. So yeah. I guess, like you're saying, just a strong year for film. Yeah. I um, mean, I expected Roma and Shoplifters to be in that category. The other three, though, I had never really heard much about. So, But again, it actually tells me that, hey, there's some other really good films that we've still got to catch up on. That and are, see, that's, 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 that's something that, there again, you know, I mentioned the whole avalanche mentality. I feel like if Roma won foreign language film, it probably wouldn't win best picture. Yeah, so that, but agreed. you don't know that until the evening starts going and then you're like, Oh, okay. Now I know who, <laughs> you know, now I know it'll be a star is born mm-hmm. because, but you don't, you just don't know. I'll speak about something that I was surprised was included as well. Mm-hmm. We talked about the um, actress in Roma, but when a cowboy trades his spurs <laughs> for wings, yeah. um, it's included in original song, AKA the category that's a lock for a star is born to win with yeah, shallow. shallow. But I was really surprised and pleased because I've really liked that song. Well, you actually said, I remember saying when during the review of that film that you were really pushing for that to get nominated for song. And <laughs> here you go. You got because it. Because for me, that was just like the shining achievement. Yeah. You know, I was not as high on the rest of the film, but that the musical numbers from that first. Uh, well, let's just hope the Academy gets their stuff worked out because the rumor is right now that they're only going to have shallow yeah. and uh the song from black panther right played at the perform at the uh, ceremony which, which that normally you like well it's going to be one of these two to win and it's yeah, probably going to be shallow. you play one you play all five and i would love to see um tim blake nelson get up there and oh. sing uh yeah sing the song from buster scruggs it'll that be a lot been, of fun that would have yeah. been amazing yeah the last i'll say that um didn't make the category which i was surprised because of what was included in the category and it's a disney movie a place called Slaughter Race um, didn't make the best original song. It was in the short list of ten or fifteen that they mm-hmm. announced for the RBG song to make it in there, and not for this one to make it in there. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprising for me. And what what film was that from? The song? Well, I'll tell you, and that uh, talk more about it in a minute. But okay. It's from uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, okay. See, I've not seen that one, so oh, good. So I guess I know where your recommendation is. Yes. Okay. Great. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that's the Oscar nominations. Again, there was a lot of other categories we're not going to sure. go through, but uh, we did want to kind of hit the ones that most people end up talking about the most and kind of give our thoughts on those. It will be an interesting ceremony. Uh, we normally do after the ceremony's over, we'll have the next episode we do. We'll kind of recap the winners and see how we did with our picks. I'm really looking forward to the no host mentality. I wonder, I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers, as I'm sure most people are, that it cuts down on the running time. I should probably go ahead and say it probably won't, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I think it's going to be interesting uh, to see how the night goes. I mean, I, I could see it adding a little more sophistication to the evening where it's a little more higher level uh, caliber you know, event. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Because I think I, the host is always there to kind of knock people down and kind of be sarcastic about it and right. make jokes. This may be a very 
hey, let's get right to the awards and let's let's jump right in. I, I'm, here's See, hoping. I would, th- I would think because of that, they would give the performances for each of the original That's songs. That's why I didn't understand. Because that would space stuff out. And it's like, yeah. okay, here's the nominees. Okay, we've done that. Now let's do an original song. I, that's why yeah. I don't understand why Weird. you wouldn't let all five perform unless they've already got so much stuff they're trying to pack in. I guess. In between the pieces. So, All right. Well, Chris, we, we've been running long, but let's go ahead and wrap up with what we normally end the show with, and that's our recommendations. Uh, that's a film that you and I you know, each individually recommend that we think is worth checking out. And you kind of already gave a little bit of a teaser about I your did. film, so why don't you go ahead and tell us what your recommendation for this episode is. So I'm going to recommend Ralph Breaks the Internet. It came out in 2018. It came out around Thanksgiving time. It was the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. I was not interested in seeing it. I liked Wreck-It Ralph okay, but thought it was minor Pixar Disney. Just mm-hmm. didn't really pay attention to it. This was announced, and it came out, and I heard generally favorable things, but I just never, I don't know, I never caught up with it. But mm-hmm. like with Green Book, but <laughs> the fact I like this is different. But it was announced as one of the final five, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to check out Ralph mm-hmm. Breaks the Internet. I'm surprised. I, I really, really liked oh, it. Great. I have to revisit the original to see maybe I read it wrong or no, the original was just kind of okay. And this one was so much better, but it might be one of those instances where the sequel is better than the original. Mm-hmm. I think it's that case, but I'd have to go back and revisit the original. The song, a place called slaughter slaughter race was amazing. And without going into too much detail, cause I want to spoil anything for people. It wasn't, you know, I could think you'd be like, oh, yeah, they just shoehorned a song in there so they'd get a nomination, which they didn't end up getting a nomination. But the song, the lyrics, and the reason it is in the film are amazing and just really a good comedic touch that you just you have to kind of see the film to truly appreciate. But I'd, I enjoyed it, too, because there were jokes that you saw in the trailer and you're like, OK, I see, you know, and I bet when I watch the movie, it'll be one note and there won't be any other jokes outside of those. Nope. There were jokes all over the place that Good. were, you know, there, and that was refreshing to get to see to them. Um, the voice casting of John C. Riley as Wreck-It Ralph mm-hmm. and Sarah Silverman as Vanellope, they were good in the first one, but this one, I guess, the roles have matured for them. They're used to they playing the parts or something. The roles maybe a little yeah, bit. yeah, man, just so good. And I'll say, I'll say too to close it out. I'm on record that I'm kind of cranky about credit scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I admire watching the credits, but. I think it's annoying when they put stuff at the very end just to like, and a lot of times it's not worth, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not worth yeah. the effort they put into it. Um, the credit scenes for this in credit scenes that are there, they're, they're, they're good. The, I guess like, it was around. rewarding to me as when Captain America and I can't remember <laughs> what Marvel movie he did at the that end was of Spider-Man but, homecoming. Was it when he just came on? It's like, yeah. what are you guys still waiting here for? Like, well, he made his little speech about, uh, anticipation you know you're waiting for something you think is going to be great or, okay or no talking about expectations, expectations. And all, yeah. it was like he'd been in training films throughout yeah. spider-man mm-hmm. homecoming and they went, yeah that was genius and i loved it and this was kind of something along those lines kind of breaking the fourth wall a little bit that was cool amazing so no I, i'm actually i liked record ralph a lot okay. i thought it was fun and uh of course i you know all the arcade references and uh, video game references were great. I know this one's a lot more internet references and all. Yes. Um, but it's, uh, the reviews have been good and I'm, uh, you gave a positive review. So now I'm on board. I'm ready to see it. Okay. Awesome. So, all right. We talked a lot of trash about M night Shyamalan earlier. <laughs> we, we, you know, we're really kind of not terribly happy with the way split, uh, glass turned out and, you know, just we're hoping it was going to be a return to form or strengthening right. of the trilogy. And it didn't really, 
and it just reminded me to kind of look back and say, all right, you know, where, where, where did I think Shyamalan really kind of got it all right? We've already talked about Sixth Sense in the past. I think I've mentioned it before, and it's, it's a great film. Unbreakable, we have both talked about, and it's been a, a recommendation way in the past as well. Mm-hmm. I have it as one of my top films, probably top 20 of all time film that I love. Um, but, you know, I started thinking, I'm like, all right, his third popular film was Signs. And ah. at the moment when Signs came out, I thought it was good, but not great. I was a little let down after Unbreakable. Okay. I have revisited at least in the last few months and saw it again. I forgot under what situation, but it did remind me that that was back in a time where I think M Knight had a better handle on screen writing because less is more was a lot more of his take on it. <laughs> that was the take in Sixth sense. That was the take in unbreakable dialogue became meaningful when it was being given. And there was some thought behind all the dialogue on the screen. And he tended to play more with, senses of dread and playing with emotions and kind of you know, people anxious to not know what's going on. He had that down to a science. Right. And I think signs was a great example of that. It was a fairly understated roles for Mel Gibson and for Joaquin Phoenix, one of his more earlier roles. Um, the film really plays up this sense of uncertainty and some dread and, and nervousness, which was great. M night knows how to do that. Sure. That's probably something that was really missing from Glass and I think really kind of hurt that film is that there was no real sense of buildup where you just felt your emotions building up. You didn't know where things were going to go and then you kind of got swerved in another direction. Right. This is back when he knew how to do that. He did it perfectly in The Sixth Sense. He did it really well in Unbreakable. And I think he did it well in Signs. I think it's after Signs where he started to get a little lazier with the writing. Um, and where it started to be a little more obvious. But Signs was still a really strong movie. So I'm recommending check back out Signs. Go give it another revisit. It does hold up. It's a good, quote, scary film. Um, The first time I saw it, the whole ending and how he tries to make this circular uh, references within the film, it didn't work for me as well the first time I saw it. But I've seen it now, I guess, maybe with a, a little more seasoned eyes, and I actually think it's pretty smart. Okay. Works pretty well, so I enjoy it a little more. Okay, so I, I'm saying Signs is worth seeing to kind of get some good M Night Shyamalan films back in your in your viewing habits. So, fair enough. All right, well, that is our two recommendations. We've got Ralph Breaks the Internet, the sequel to Wreck It Ralph, and I've got Signs from M Night Shyamalan, his third major motion picture that kind of came out and got major release. Um, so, Chris. Anybody who's listened to our show here, they heard our negative reviews of two films in a row. <laughs> they heard our picks on the Oscars. We've given them a lot of stuff to, to chew on. Yes. If somebody has something they want to pick a, a bone to pick with us or want to have a disagreement on anything we've said or support anything we've said, uh, how should they do so? There's no way. You're just going to have no, to just sorry. yell at your podcast <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not and, a no. network of computers <laughs> or something of ways for people to talk to each other. So, sorry. You have to walk outside and scream up. to the heavens, and yeah. that's going to be it. No. Um, send an email to info at themesh.tv, and in, a, in that email, just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line, and they'll send it our way. And tell us what we got wrong about our takes on Glass or Green Book or our Oscar picks. Uh, you can even give us some advice on how we might get our ballot correct for the Oscar party we're going to We have. can use that because we do have our Oscar ballot contest, and I've never won. 
but I'm trying to figure out what the mojo is to make sure I can win this year. So if you've got some <laughs> thoughts, some advice for me, let me know. Uh, as a reminder, too, I know we'll talk about it as we get a little later in the year, but we do have our next film festival coming up, the Foot Candle Film Festival, September 20th, 27th through the 30th. 27th through the 30th mm-hmm. of September this year, 2019. Correct. It's going to be held in uh, Catawba County in western North Carolina. It's going to be in the city of Hickory. It'll be held uh, at the Salt Block, which is a facility that we rent out for the the festival and have probably upwards of 30-some films showing. Sorry, 27th to the 29th. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that would have been four days. Four instead days. Of three We're days. not up it's to that It's a three-day festival. Yeah. 27th through the 29th, this. Um, we show upwards of 30 films, combination of short films, uh, feature-length films, documentary narratives. Um, we have awards. I think we had five, six awards categories, six, six awards that we gave out this past year. So we have a great time. So go ahead and put it on your calendar and there'll be a lot more information coming out closer to the summer about the festival. But we'd uh, love to have you come join us for the weekend up in beautiful Western North Carolina. And of course, you want to learn more about the Foot Candle Film Society and our series of screenings and our, anything else going on there, visit footcandle.org. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. This has been the Mesh Network, themesh.tv, to find other episodes, back episodes, or other shows you may be interested in. But for Foot Candle Films, this is Alan signing off. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.